in the uh, last part of our relationship series, and we've been talking about a lot of different ways in which we can make our relationships healthy. We talked about uh, forgiving. We talked about communicating. We talked about the idea of uh, seeking first to understand where somebody's coming from. We talked, Bob talked about conflict resolution, and we talked about being present. We also talked about handling our own insecurities, that sometimes in relationships we bring our own baggage into it, and sometimes when the relationship is going south, or we find ourselves in a lot of relationships that are going south, we're probably the common denominator. And so we talked about uh, having the Lord analyze our heart for those types of things. This morning, what we're going to talk about is something a little different. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story that happened to Jesus and his disciples where Jesus sets us up with a whole different way to think about relationships. And then we'll look in and um, see some different places in the Bible where Peter and Paul address this issue. And then we'll look in the Old Testament for a story that kind of really f- fleshes this out. When I graduated from college, um, uh, Lisa and I, we had dated for six years. We had dated two years in high school, and then through college, we went to separate colleges. And so when I graduated from college, I was really, really, really uh, uh, excited about getting married. We had been dating for six years, and I wanted to get married, and Lisa wanted to get married. And so we were, like m- many young couples, like, who cares how much money we make, even if we live in a shack? Uh, we're going to be happy, and, and it'll just be us. And, you know, we've learned now that it's way better to be alone in a mansion than together in a shack. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But, but uh, you know, that was the thing. And so we didn't care whatever. And so I, I, but I, but I knew I needed a job. And so I got this job at an import-export company. My friend from college, his dad, owned the company. And so I went in brand new, like super excited. I was making $24,000 a year, which basically means you're rich. Anyway, uh, and so... Um, I got there, and they, they, everything was on typewriters back then, you know, and yeah, right, exactly. And so um, uh, I got my seat, and then the office manager's name was uh, Jay. And it didn't take me very long to realize, um, have you ever seen The Office and uh, Dwight Schrute, you know, that, if that, that particular character? That was Jay. He was incredibly insecure, kind of bizarre. Um, and uh, really annoying. And Jay, all of us kind of dressed like this when we went to work, which is very sporty, but uh, we weren't really dressed up, and, and, but Jay would be dressed up. He wore really nice clothes. He liked to show that he had a lot of money. He'd talk about these investments that he had and that he was calling his numismatic broker and all this kind of stuff. I didn't even know what that meant. I had a, I had a business degree. Um, and so I, I grew to really dislike Jay. Um, really, really, really dislike Jay. As a matter of fact, it got so bad that I'd be at my desk and when I'd just hear his voice, and it was just that nasally voice behind me, I wanted to grab my letter opener and just, you know, right in his neck, okay? And so, so I had my own issues, I agree. Uh, but, uh, and so this was, was happening to Jay. I'll just tell you one quick story. We had, the way our, our office was set up, we had a warehouse down on the bottom, and then the offices were up on top. And so you got this sense just by going to work that you would kind of go up. If you were worked in the office, you went up to the office, and then the warehouse was down there. And, and so uh, Jay one time was down in the warehouse, and um, they were super busy. And so um, there were these two boxes I had to get on this pallet. And he's like, hey, we need these two boxes on the pallet. And one of the uh, guys in the warehouse said, uh, in so many words, uh, can't you just put... Um, 
those particular boxes on the pallet. And, uh, and, and, and Jay looked at him and he said, this is why I work up in the office and you work down in the warehouse, okay? Welcome to Jay. Okay, so now we all hate Jay, which is what I wanted to, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so uh, I just found myself dreading going to work. And I just didn't, I, Jay, here, here's what I thought. Jay was a bottleneck to my career because he'd withhold information. I don't know if you've ever been in an office where all of the information had to flow through one person and that person was annoying and would stop the flow of information. You couldn't do your job. So now you looked bad because that person, this was, this was Jay. And so I remember talking to my mom about this because I was 24 and I'd still call my mom when I felt sad about things. And uh, so I, I, I called my mom, I was talking to my mom. My mom said this, she said, she said John, if you don't learn how to deal with this particular person, God's going to continue to give, people like, give you people like this until you're able to handle it. Now, theologically, that's not accurate. Um, but in any way, uh, but at that particular time, the Lord was speaking to me through my mom. And, and, and again, maybe her theology wasn't accurate, but basically what I felt the Lord, and it really hit me at home, I felt the Lord was saying, dude, you got to handle this. You got to figure out how to handle this guy. This is a you problem. You're going to learn how to humble yourself. And I'm like, how do I do that and still stab him in the neck with a letter opener? Like, <laughs> okay, I won't use a letter opener. You know, I'll, I'll slowly choke him out. No, I, I don't know. But, but, and so I began to go to work with a different attitude. I began to go to work going, okay, Lord, if this is the case, I need to learn how to serve Jay. Now, so I began this process of every day I'd go to work, and I don't know if Lisa even remembers this, I'd go to work, and I'd be like, I'm going to serve Jay, I'm, I'm going to serve Jay. And so I'd go to work, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, after um, probably longer than it would take you, uh, my heart began to change. And I began to see Jay in a completely different way. I, I, he wasn't necessarily a bottleneck anymore to my career. It, it, was just, it was just, God just began to change my heart. Jay never changed. As a matter of fact, we ended up firing Jay on his birthday, which was just, well, I know, it was brutal. I don't want him smiling about that. Anyway, um, no, we fired him. No, no, but here's how my heart had changed. My heart had changed so much about Jay that I actually felt bad, and I went and unloaded a container at another one of our warehouses because I just couldn't handle it anymore. Uh, that's how bad I felt. And then Jay ended up getting arrested for stealing money from the next company he was at. Here's my point, Okay. <laughs> It's not pray and your boss will get arrested, all right? It's this. We tend to think of life in terms of position and rank, and that's how we value people. If I'm here on the totem pole at my work, it's better for me to get here, and it's even better for me to get here. And then if you're in my way from getting from here to here, you're the problem. God doesn't value us, praise him, <laughs> by our position, by our role. Our value comes from something totally different than our role. As a matter of fact, when you look through Scripture, the Bible talks about all sorts of different roles. The Bible talks about uh, um, children having a lower role than the parent, that the parent's actually above the child. The Bible talks about slave and master, which when we think of those terms, we think, well, shouldn't it be talking about you shouldn't have slaves or whatever? God is more interested, listen, on how we handle the role we've been given than which role we have. God wasn't concerned about Jay as 
you know, uh, we got to get rid of Jay so I can move up. He was interested in how Jay was handling his position as office manager. He was just as concerned, equally as concerned, at, at how I was handling my position as being bottom rung on the totem pole. And every single relationship you have, every single one of them, comes with a certain level of power. Each relationship, even with friends, one, one in certain situations will have more power than the other. As we get to where you work, you, maybe you're in a position of power and there are those underneath you or there's uh, those above you that, that they're in the ones in power. Every relationship, husband and wife, oftentimes wives will wield a certain power over husbands. Husbands will wield a certain power over wives. The Bible talks about all this stuff. But what the Bible does is it takes what we normally do either as Americans or as humans where we see your position equals your value. The Bible takes that and flips it completely on its head. So, this happened to Jesus. Um, Jesus was with his disciples. He's at the very end of his ministry. And if you've ever been on a team in a locker room at a very important game like CIF playoffs or something, Jesus is essentially giving the um, disciples the pregame speech. Like, this is the big game. He's going off to be crucified, and he's trying to explain to his disciples, this is a big deal. And so he huddles them all together, and he says, guys, here's the deal. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to step out on the field. This is the biggest game we're going to play. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests. And then I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles. And I'm going to be scourged, okay, flogged. I, I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be crucified. But don't worry, we're going to end up winning in the end. <laughs> okay, it'll be like the kings. Double overtime, three days go by, I'm going to rise again. He actually tells them, I'm going to rise again on the third day. And so you'd expect that they would be like, yeah, let's go do it. This is, this is what we've been waiting for. But of, of course, just like you and I, they miss the whole point. And one of the, two of the guys' mom shows up, okay, and so this is what it would be like. CIF championship game. You're on a football team, let's just say, because it's Father's Day, right? You guys all remember that. You got the dark stuff under your eyes and all this. You're ready. You've hit each other on the shoulder pads a bunch of times. You've screamed and then hit each other in the face with the face mask. You're kind of like all pumped up and ready to go. And then someone's mom shows up in the locker room. Ooh, coach, it's your mom. You're like, oh, no, what's she doing here? You and your brother are there like, oh boy. And she says, I don't, I don't care which one, but if one of them could play wide receiver and one of them could be the quarterback, that would be fantastic, right? And you're just like, kill me now, all right? This is what happens. Two of the disciples, their mom shows up and says, listen, could you do me a favor? When you come into your kingdom, could one of them sit on your right and one of them sit on your left? And Jesus, you can imagine, you know, imagine your coach, your football coach, first of all. I don't even like to think of mine, but imagine yours. And he says, he says, he gets done with his speech, and all of a sudden your mom shows up and says, I want him to play court. Imagine how upset he'd be. But Jesus takes this opportunity. And here's what he says. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now, Again, we look at something like this, and they probably didn't understand what he was saying either. If you were reading this for the first time, and you didn't know what was going to take place, you'd be like, 
what does he mean by drink this cup? But later on in the scripture, he explains what this is. He says, we're going to take the way you look at position. You want to be at the right and the left hand. You, you want that position of honor. You want, you want to be the one in power. That's not how it works with the kingdom of God. You've got it all backwards. The reason you're frustrated is not because you haven't achieved it. The reason you're frustrated is because you misunderstand what it's like to have a life that's full of freedom. And so he says, uh, <clears throat> he says, uh, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? They say, we can. Uh, and Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. In other words, there is, it seems like Jesus is saying there is a place of honor at the right and left. We're not getting rid of that. Sometimes the temptation is to think, well, probably the best way is that there are no leaders. There are no people who, there are no vice presidents of corporations. There are no office managers. We're all kind of the same. This is not the solution Jesus or God has for us. That there are these different levels, but we don't assign value to them. That the person on the quote-unquote bottom is just as important as the person on the top. And he says, these have been prepared, uh, these places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. And then, of course, when the ten hear this, they're upset. They're indignant with the two brothers, as you would be, either because they didn't come up with the idea themselves, <laughs> or they're just like, you're trying to be over us. Like, this is a natural human response. These ten disciples are like, man... They're trying, to get, they're trying to get in that position of power. How dare they do that? Why? Because those 10 disciples thought like the other two disciples who thought like the mom. If you're in the high position, you're better. We do this to each other all the time. When we meet somebody, what's the first thing we ask? What do you do? And I'll bet in most of our minds, when they tell us what we do, we assign that a value. If they say I'm the vice president of, of you know, Apple, well, oh, wow. he's a vice president of Apple. I'll bet he makes a lot of money. He does, <laughs> trust me. Uh, <laughs> right, but we assign a value to that. We say, oh, you know what, I'm unemployed. Mmm, unemployed, that's a certain value. We do this all the time. The 10 were indignant because they want that place of value. So what Jesus does is he calls them together. He, he gets them all together, and he's like, look, guys, as we enter in this last chapter, as I usher in the kingdom, as I'm handed over and, and beaten and then crucified and then rise again, you have got to get this if this kingdom thing is going to work. And so he calls them together, and he says, uh, uh, Jesus called them together and said, you know um, that the rulers of the Gentiles... Lorded over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. So, so you see it like you already see it in the world. People in power don't usually tend to handle their power very well is what Jesus is saying. You know, you know when they get to a place of power, it's like they've arrived. There's, there's a certain amount of value that's been added to their life. We, oftentimes when we see someone in power, we watch even as they walk and as they as they walk around. And sometimes you feel it yourself when you, if you're around people who are in a high, high position, sometimes you feel looked down upon, okay? This is because it's human nature to take positions of power and abuse those positions of power. But remember, we all come to our relationships with some sort of power. 
Even kids, our kids, even though we think, you know, some of you kids are thinking, are you kidding me? I don't have any power. My parents tell me what to do. They, they, I don't get to do anything. I, they tell me when to go to bed, when to get up, what to eat, what not to play, what to play. I guarantee you, you start acting the fool, you will see how much power you have. Your parents will go crazy. You have that power. You're like, wow, I will wield this power. Keep listening. Okay. So he goes on, Jesus called them together. You know that the Gentiles rule it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. If you're in a position of power, you're not going to use that power the way that culture uses that power. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. It's completely flipped upside down. In other words, the higher you go up on the totem pole, the more you should be serving. He goes on. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So now the question is, who wants power? It's like, not me. I don't, right? Jesus takes that whole thing and turns it upside down. Then he goes on. Basically, he says this. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What we've been talking about in this whole relationship series is that people with the healthiest, healthiest relationships are those who are like Jesus. If you take a family, a family of five, and they're all striving to be like Christ, that is going to be a healthy family. If you take a marriage and both the husband and the wife are striving to be like Christ, that's going to be a healthy family marriage. If you take father and son and mother and daughter and a teacher and student, all these different structure powers, if you take boss and worker and they're both trying to be like Christ, that's going to be a healthy, healthy environment. And what Jesus is saying is the way it works is this. The more power you have, the more your position, the higher your position, the more you serve. That's why Jesus who had the highest position, the name that is above every other name, says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom for many. Now, how does this play out? Well, in the Bible, um, again, you'd think, well, to get around this, we should just have no positions. We should all just have the same. We should all just be equal. There shouldn't be any, any type of thing. But, but God doesn't say that. And in several places in Scripture, God talks about someone being over someone else. And sometimes when we read that, it makes us uncomfortable. Because so ingrained in us as humans, and maybe more so in America than any place else, we think position equals value. So if the Bible says this person's in position over this, we think, how dare they say that, that, that this person's more valuable than the other? But that's not the case. One of the first places you see it, and probably the one that is the most uncomfortable, is in Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible just comes out with this crazy thing and just says, wives, submit to your husbands. You know, and all the husbands are just like, that's what I've been trying to tell her all this time. Finally, the Bible's on my side. We had a friend one time, uh, uh, she was married to this guy, and this was his big verse. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. The guy was an idiot. And, and, uh, and was just a, just a just foolish husband. And so uh, their marriage started to g- hit the skids and hit the rocks and pick whatever other f- phrase they're supposed to use. Um, and and uh, I called him up and I said, dude, 
This is your second marriage. If you want to go on to your third, just keep doing what you keep quoting that verse. And he kept telling me, but I'm right. And I said, be right all the way to your third marriage, bro. Go ahead. But the fact is, the Bible says, wives, be submissive to your husband. It makes us uncomfortable. Then it goes on. It says, husbands, love your wives and give yourself up for them. You say, well, and the wives are like, that's what I've been trying to tell them. <laughs> Finally, the Bible, right? We think in these positions. It says, it says wives, submit to your husbands uh, as unto the Lord. Like, like the church submits to Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife. And we go, oh, no, he isn't. Not on my watch, right? <laughs> right? Because we assign value to that. God just assigns role. And so God says, look, okay, Mr. Head of the Household, guess what you're going to do? You're going to give up your life for your spouse. It says in the Bible, you're going to love her like you love your own body. You're like, ooh. I love them, but some of us love our body more than others, but <laughs> that whole thing. Then he goes on, he starts talking about um, slaves and masters. And he's like, slaves, submit to your masters. And we think, what? Because Jesus is more concerned about what you're doing with the place you're in rather than with the place you're going. Jesus is really concerned, children at how you're obeying your parents. He actually talks about that in Ephesians. Children, obey your parents. And he says, look, it's the first commandment that comes with a promise. It's going to go well with you. But then he goes on, he says, oh, and by the way, parents, uh, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't use your position of power to just say, because I said so. Instruct them. Train them, right? So there's, there's all these things. But here's how this all starts out. This whole section in chapter five. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. No matter what your position is, no matter what your role is, yes, you are the, you run your department at work. You have responsibility. You have to make decisions. You have to lead, absolutely. But how are you going to use your power? And yes, you're brand new to the company and you're way smarter than everyone who's ever been hired there before. You're just like a prodigy, right? So what are you going to do there? Out of reverence to Christ, the one who came, who did not regard equality with God, something to be held onto, but he takes the form of a bondservant, emptying himself, becoming obedient, even to the point of death. Out of reverence for that Jesus, submit to one another. And he goes on, he talks about those different roles. He talks about it in Romans same type of thing. In Romans, he talks about, uh, he, he does this verse first. For by the grace given to me, I say to you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay, it sounds like he's talking to those who, are, who have position. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment and according uh, with the faith that he's attributed. And then, and then he goes on and he just starts nailing it like, Like, listen, this is what our relationship should look like as we humble ourselves, as we submit to one another. He says, uh, basically, we're all different. We all have different things we add to the kingdom. Then he says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position, not low value, low position. Do not be conceited. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then at the very end, he says this, which is just incredible. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Again, Peter talks about this. He talks again about position. He talks about, he hits the husband and wife thing too. It's not just Paul, it's Peter as well. Who was Mary? That's why his is a little, you know, his is more like, I'm not letting her read this, you know. But anyway, you know, he, he, he writes it a little different, but he says the same thing. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, respect your wives. I mean, come on, let's, let's go. But he talks about position. And he talks about, again, slaves and masters. And he takes it even farther along. He says, slaves, submit to your masters, even those who are unreasonable. And you're thinking, he's been to my work. <laughs> he knows, right? He's saying, Jesus is really concerned about how you're handling your position. Oftentimes we think if we could just get out of our position to this position, it would be better. And Jesus is like, no, I want you handling it well here. He starts off and he says this, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Man, just read that. What does that mean to be a, a, a mom or a dad who's sympathetic and loving and compassionate and humble? What does it mean to be a boss? What does it mean to be an employee? This, this describes Jesus. This verse describes Jesus. It's the idea of submitting to one another, no matter what the position is. Again, we assign value to position. So I told you I'd, I'd uh, tell you this Old Testament story uh, because it really, it really sums up what's happening. It really shows the consequences of what can happen if we don't get this in our relationships. Because one of our the problems is the fear that if I'm going to submit myself, what if I go to work on Monday and I say, I'm going to submit and nobody else does? <laughs> then you think, well, I'll never get out of there. <laughs> I'll be stuck in that position forever. This is where Jesus wants you. He wants you in that position going, are you going to trust me? Or are you going to trust the bottleneck? And if we don't get rid of that, nothing, I'll never make it. I'll never succeed. I'll never whatever. Jesus says, are you going to trust me with your position? Or are you going to try and work the system? Well, there was a guy. Um, in the Old Testament, the way it was supposed to work out was that God was supposed to lead the people of Israel. It was supposed to be a theocracy, not a democracy, uh, but, a, uh, but a theocracy. God was king um, they would follow his statutes and, and they would care for one another and they'd care for the poor and all the nations would look and go, who's your king? And they say, God's our king and it was supposed to be awesome. And all the nations would look and say, what a great God that, that they follow. Look at how prosperous they are. They take care of each other. Well, Israel, they're like us, didn't like the fact that they were kind of odd man out. They didn't have a king. Every other country had a king. And it, what a king meant was prestige and power, and it meant position. And so the king, our king is better than your king. That was like the top rung you could be in their society was you could be king. And some places had a king, and then, I mean, mo all of them had a king, and then there's Israel who's just like, well, you can't, our king's invisible. You know, it's like, it's like they, couldn't, they couldn't show it. And so instead of having God displayed through them, they wanted a king. And God warned them, don't get a king. Whatever you do, don't get a king. Don't get a king. Send a prophet, don't get a king. They're going to take your young men, they're going to ship them off to war, just don't, don't get a king. And they're like, 
We've thought about it. We've prayed about it. We want a king, okay? So God says, fine, here you go. And they, it gives him Saul. And Saul goes batty. And, uh, and then David comes. And that transition between Saul and David was, was just horrible, okay? And then David comes, and there's a time of prosperity, and they conquer a bunch of stuff. And it looks like finally we got our king, King David. And even at this time, Jesus is about, they, are, they still love King David, all right? Now, whether King David was a good king, bad king, you can read the Bible yourself. They loved King David. Well, David had a son named Solomon. And Solomon was the wisest man in the world ever. He wrote Proverbs, he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he wrote another sex book called the Song of Solomon. And when you're 18, you can read it. But the, 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 he wrote those three books. And so uh, does anyone know when Solomon died who the next king was? It was Solomon's son. What? Who said that? Dude, Slim Jim. <laughs> you get one for catching that. That was sweet. All right, another one. Okay. Okay, good. I only have 10 up here, dude. Okay. For those listening on the podcast, I've been throwing Slim Jims at people. So there we go. All right. Rehoboam. That was awesome, dude. I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, anyway, it was Rehoboam. And the reason this part of the church didn't get it uh, was because Rehoboam in two years lost 85% of the kingdom. When Solomon had the kingdom, now Solomon did some bad stuff. It's not like he was the greatest. He, he taxed the people and he worked the people and, and he wasn't that great of a king at, at the end. But it says in the Bible that he was so prosperous, King Solomon was, that silver basically had no value. There was so much silver. It, like, it was like, hey, want to get some silver? Uh, yeah, there's some right here. You know, it's, like, it's like littered all over the place. It's like, it, it, that's how prosperous the kingdom was. That silver just became like dirt. Until Rehoboam took over. And so there was an opportunity that Rehoboam had as king to display kingdom principles. He was given all the power and he had a chance. And God warned him, you've got a chance. And here's what happens. So when Solomon was there, there was Jeroboam and they were conflicting and everything. And Jeroboam had to go, go to Egypt and and because Jeroboam didn't like the way Solomon was treating the people. And, and so uh, he goes to Egypt. And when Rehoboam comes up, Jeroboam comes back with a whole bunch of people from Israel. And they say, Rehoboam, look, if you would just stop this whole like, heavy burden of taxation and working us, we will be your servants. If you would just, essentially this, if you would just take your position of power and dial it back a notch, We'll be your servants. So Rehoboam goes to the elders. These are the men who led underneath Solomon. Now you would expect if these elders were underneath Solomon that they would want to carry out the same things Solomon were carrying out to be kind of harsh on the people. But that isn't what happened. You get the sense that these elders were sitting there watching there, shaking their head going, dude, you're writing all these proverbs down, but you are just not, you're not getting it. And so Rehoboam goes to the elders, and here's what the elders say to him. And see if you can't see some of the words in here uh, that, are, um, that talk about what we're talking about. They replied, if you will be a servant to these people. Isn't that fascinating? They are talking to the king of Israel. Listen, all of us have people that are above us in government and all this kind of stuff. Isn't that 
what do we call them? Civil what? Civil servants. I mean, that's what we want, right? I, again, whether that's true or not, that's up to you guys to decide. But, but here's what he says. He says, if you would be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they'll always be your servants. They, they're really good. This is going to, this, this type of thing, if you would serve them, they're going to serve you. And so what happens with Rehoboam is so tragic. Um, Rehoboam, I don't know if you've ever got a solid advice. Like you go, you go to the car dealership and you get a car and there's something in the back of your mind that's like, I shouldn't buy this car, but I think I love this car. I think I want to marry this car. Like this car is awesome, but you, you don't know if you can afford it. And so you call up your dad and your dad's like, you said 0% financing. Nah, it doesn't work that way. Don't do it. Don't do it. You don't need a new car, but I want something reliable. You don't need a new car. You can do this. You're like, my father's dead to me. And you go on to the next person <laughs> and you go, you know, you, you go to someone else, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Now, here's the place where you never, ever, ever, ever should make an emotional decision. And it's with your buddies. Okay. With the people you grew up with. Oftentimes those guys, I'm talking to guys, they're just stupid. Okay. This is what Rehoboam does. He hears the elders and they say, be a servant and they'll serve you forever. And he's like, now I'm going to go to my bras, man, see what they have to say. So he does. Let me read to you what these geniuses say. <laughs> Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, uh, gave him and consulted the young men who he'd grown up with. <laughs> Tony and Gino, no, uh, <clears throat> who were serving him. He asked him, what's your advice? How should we answer the people? who say, lighten the yoke your father put on us. The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. What? What? I think what they're trying to say in Old Testament language is you think he was a big deal. I'm, I'm a bigger deal, Okay. My father laid on you heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Okay? That's what Rehoboam does. And as I told you, two years later, 85% of his kingdom is gone. He's in battles with Jeroboam. The kingdom gets divided between north and south. And that just became a big mess. And Egypt comes in and attacks. And it's just, I wonder what would have happened if Rehoboam could have gone back to those elders in time and heard them again. They said, be a servant. Serve them and they'll serve you if things wouldn't have been different. On Second Chronicles, which is a, a little parallel version of uh, Kings, they tell a lot of the same stories. They talk about Rehoboam, and they, they sum up his life. The author of Second Chronicles sums up his life. He says, he did evil because, and you wonder, and you, we could just, knowing his story, we could probably fill in a bunch of stuff there because he didn't listen to people older and wiser than him. Totally. That could have been it. Um, because he wasn't a servant, uh, because he increased taxes. Ah, right? He did evil because he increased taxes. We like that one. 
Uh, he did evil because he had lots of wars. That is not what it says. Watch what it says. This is so fascinating. Because remember what the elder said. If you would be a servant and serve these people, they'll be your servants. He did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. The Lord's heart was that that king would serve the people. The Lord's heart is for his people. The Lord's heart is for the person you have a relationship with. The Lord's heart is that you would serve him. That's the Lord's heart. And so to the extent we can do this for each other in our marriages and in our families and at work and, and at school and all these things, when we're, when, we're, when we're at recess and there's groups of us students together and we're, we're kind of in that group, the way we serve each other, which is hard at that age, is hard to do. That's the heart of God. Peter, who was, we were talking, had the different things, says, says this, and as Adria comes back up, we'll, we'll end with this scripture. The idea of power and of position. Um, after Peter talks about slaves and marriages and the government and all this kind of says, he says this, all of you, all, all of you, and th- this, this is for everyone who's got the top, top position all the way to the lowest low. All of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God is opposed to the proud. He opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And then he ends with this last sentence that's so awesome. Because remember what I said before, it's like, well, what if, what if I serve and nobody serves me? Well, what if I go to work and I'm like, that guy that I can't stand, that nobody can stand, I decide I'm not going to say anything bad about him. What if he gets promoted? Well, what if, what if I don't get that job? What if, what if I do this for my wife and I'm, I'm just like, and then she doesn't return any favors? What, what, what if, it ends with this, take all that stuff, all that worry, and just give it to the Lord. He's got you. He's got it. He's got your boss figured out. He's got your spouse figured out. He's got your parents figured out. He's got it. You just be faithful. You just be humble. You and I, we just serve. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you.